Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 50, day four Royal Ascot preview. Big Chillians, and welcome back, as always, to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm joined with Sam and Eddie, and I guess, speaking of Big Chill, Eddie has just finished a nice sorbet in the warm weather. My question is, does this mean you're a sorbet fan over an ice cream fan? Um, well, two, two things. I technically haven't finished it yet, so I'm going to have the last couple spoonfuls mid-recording. That's how professional I am. Um, I would say overall, I prefer ice cream, but obviously sorbet just feels better for you. So it has that added benefit, but I maybe find sorbet more refreshing because of the fruity nature of it. It kind of really feels like you're, you have a little bit of sorbet. It does on a hot day, does feel, just pick you up a little bit. Probably like, do you think you're getting one of your five a day if it's like mango sorbet then? Yeah, so I ate a mango sorbet. I ate a lemon sorbet earlier. I, I'll have a <laughs> strawberry sorbet. I'll get my five a day in, no problem. Now, Sam, I'm sure we both know the answer to this question. But, Eddie, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, you think you know the answer? I mean, I know yeah. you're going you're gonna, to uh, uh, guess what you think it is. Because I know you're going to say vanilla because you're going to say I'm boring. I'm going to say you're boring, but you're going to say I'm not boring. It's not vanilla. It's chocolate. <laughs> not You've yet to name it strawberry it's going by it is strawberry that's right strawberry by like normal flavors well i like strawberry milkshakes i don't know if i in pure ice cream form it probably wouldn't be my go-to i mean if i went to a really nice ice cream parlor yeah i'm getting strawberry if i'm going to the supermarket and buying some ice cream i'm getting some like ben and jerry's or hagen does sort of mixed um, okay. flavor i was gonna say are you quite a purist with your ice cream or do you mind it when they tinker with it and add loads of stuff like cookie dough and things like that no i like ben and jerry's the only reason i dislike ben and jerry's slightly is they turned me down for a no i went i got interviewed for a job there once like now six seven years ago and they turned me down is it because you turned up with sorbet <laughs> and the reason no they gave me they gave me the no because they saw them and they were like no no we cannot afford to give away that much free ice cream <laughs> Wow, that's harsh. <laughs> look, how, look how pleased he is with his joke. Look how pleased he is. Well, I mean, the listeners, man, trust me. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. six out of ten. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was. It was. It was. It was there. Um, no, I remember. I remember. Still laughing. I asked for feedback as to why I didn't get the job, and. He said that I didn't appear to have, so actually counter to what you're saying, Frank, I didn't seem to have the necessary level of enthusiasm required to work at Ben and Jerry's. It was, I can uh, see that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not overflowing with enthusiasm on a daily basis, but I did actually really want the job. It was working for their foundation, so it was actually quite a cool little gig. But uh, fuck them. What's the what's the foundation do? Just send like fish food to Africa or what's Yeah, it the... just melts. Well, you know, that's the downside. <laughs> they haven't quite figured that bit out. So the Yeah. Or they send actual fish food. Oh, that would be a disappointment, wouldn't it? 
Yeah. Oh, you're getting loads of really tasty ice cream. No, it's just flakes. <laughs> but no, I, they do. The foundation does some cool things. Yeah, Don't they have the fish food ice cream? <laughs> that's no. I think that's one of their ice cream flavors. It's fish. Why? Like, why do you think he made the joke? Wow! If you think you peaked on the joke about me, you've just Frank, bottomed out. Frank, I know you said Wait, your what? internet's lagging, but this is this is another level. This is incredible. Ah, all right, now uh, talking about food manufacturers, I guess. We, it seems like every podcast we do a regular update on this. I don't know if you saw that the uh, UEFA came out and asked players to stop removing bottles from their press conferences. They said if for religious purposes a player could ask to not have a bottle present, but for any other reason, it has to be there, and that the players needed to understand that it was part of a vital stream of revenue for European football, and that they needed the sponsors to be visible during press conferences. So does that mean as a Mormon, you can remove the Coca-Cola because it has caffeine in it? <laughs> uh, I mean, back in, if you're a Mormon from the 90s, yeah. Pretty sure they're all fine with caffeine now, aren't they? Didn't... I think some still follow Wait, some why, caffeine rule. Why weren't you allowed caffeine as a Mormon? Well, because they're just their they you know, non, non-drug, non-stimulant approach. So, but All I know is own... I, went, I went to a Mormon wedding three years ago and excited you know you get to go to a wedding it's exciting you went into the bar and asked for a drink and my choices were sparkling water or non-caffeinated root beer those are my choices wow. even if you were removing caffeine and alcohol you could have a better bar yeah <laughs> like that's, poor there's a lot that's of such a poor choice there's a lot of good things out there um now, my understanding was that the Coca-Cola pumped quite about quite a bit of money into the Mormon Church uh, pre Salt Lake City Olympic Games in 2002, and that they then, as a result, the Mormon Church became less strict on caffeine consumption. The nice uh, religious there taking a bit of money, making it change its uh, values and opinions of things. That's but good. I, I do apologize if we have any Mormon listeners, and that is way off base. I do apologize. Just a just a shrug. For <laughs> I, I I think in the UK I'm just so far removed from Mormonism. Like I, I don't. Yeah, you have to remember. You have to remember I lived in Salt Lake City for. Years, <laughs> yeah, you're so. not. I understand that. You have to remember I I also dated. I'm dating someone who was once dating. part of the Mormon Church. Oh, I thought that was like a hot off the press. There, like breaking dating. news on the Big dating. Chill podcast. <laughs> wow does does she know? <laughs> this <laughs> live <laughs> turn on the cameras live. Oh, New, new, new policy now. In future, when one of us ends a relationship, we announce it here first, and then we get and see that if they person, notice. Then we get that person. A, if they don't notice, they don't count anyway because they're not listening. But you specifically say, "Hey, you should listen to episode two hundred and thirty-two." <laughs> oh, but I'm five behind, and then you've got this like awkward lag where you don't tell them, and you've got to wait. Yeah. Should we book a holiday then, for the summer? Why don't we wait until... I think 232 sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now in the Euros have continued. You still yet to have a really exciting game. Producing yeah. out. It's all been... The, the, you know, the Denmark-Belgium match that just took place was okay. It seemed like Belgium were just sort of in second gear. And then Kevin De Bruyne and Hazard came on. They were a bit more threatening, but they still weren't 
sort of that impressive. Yeah, there isn't there hasn't really been a standout thing. I mean, the the Dutch game was exciting, but in the same way that that Inter Sevilla final um, in the Europa League was exciting, just because there's lots of goals and lots of like not great football makes it a bit kind of scattily exciting. But who knows? We've got England Scotland tomorrow, oldest international game in uh, football. Um, like I said, surprising, 115th time that they're meeting. And it seems wow. like a lot, considering in my lifetime, what, maybe seven, eight times? I mean, I, I said, I feel like you're you're plagiarizing me here, Sam. I said, I said exactly that. <laughs> I said that to you before we started recording. I don't know what you're on about. I didn't plagiarize it. <laughs> Sounded remarkably familiar to something I said. No, it was just an idle chat, don't worry. But yeah, yeah, no, it'll be interesting tomorrow. Obviously, it's difficult having watched the first match for their respective opening match. Difficult to see how you can give Scotland too much of a chance, but at the same time, it would be very England for them to then lose their second group game to a team that they should be beating, and it would be seem very appropriate for Scotland to have a disappointing tournament but still be able to hold on to the fact maybe that they beat England at Wembley. You just never hear the end of it for the next 50 years. Yeah, it would be painful. Um, so I read I read an article today about what when we did our predictions about if England win this group. Obviously, they get the Wembley, but they get a, a really tough run. Uh, I think it was the if it goes through kind of like France, Germany, etc. I think they'll probably have to go through like half the winners of the um, Euros um, so, over the time. It's a crazy stat so, about how many good players, how many good teams they'll have to go through, Sam, or do they try and finish second? Sam with the easier run. Did, were you present for the podcast where we picked the? Uh, no, I'm just saying, like the, the now, the now you look at it. No, but it's like now. No, the you way look at the it way he said that is, it sounded like they wrote an article about our prediction. Maybe. <laughs> no, well, that would be interesting if they kind of stole our content. I'm, but to, to answer your one question, I'm never in favor of sort of finishing second in te- to try and plot an easier path. I always work under the principle that winning breeds confidence, and that also. You're going to have to beat good teams to win a tournament. So if you think you're capable of winning a tournament, then you're capable of beating all of those teams. So just win your match. Take care of what you can do. I mean, you look at the 2018 World Cup. England had an easy path to the semifinal, to the final, sorry, and it didn't do them any good. And even if they had then made the final, they probably would have lost to France. And yes, it's a better achievement to lose to France in the final than to lose to France in the quarterfinals, but fundamentally, who really cares? Yeah. If you're, yeah, not gonna, I, I, if you're not going to win it, who cares? No, I agree. I, I, I just saw way more articles recently uh, after we spoke about it, about should England play tactically with this kind of group draw. But I, I agree with you. If you think your favourites to win, you've got to beat someone good at some point. So you might as well be, be confident in the fact that you are a good team. Yeah. Plus their ability to play tactically in the group kind of went out the window when they beat Croatia. They'd probably have to lose to Scotland tomorrow to put themselves back into running for second place. Because if not, if they beat Croatia Scotland, went out. Yeah, or even just the risk that Croatia draw with the Czech Republic tomorrow, then okay, yeah, you could lose to... But like if Croatia beat the Czech Republic and then you work under the assumption that Croatia are going to beat Scotland, you start getting into an, an awkward position where if you lose to Croatia, you're then putting multiple teams on six points, which, okay, you should go through as a third-place team, but then that's a whole different path. You then have to re-calculate. sort of calculate. So the minute they beat Croatia in the opening game, which they obviously had to do, I think any any thought of 
It's not like in the 2018 World Cup we had that weird final match between England and Belgium when they both rested everyone. And again, it did neither of them any good. They both made it to the semifinals and they both lost in the semifinals. Also, it's just never going to happen against Scotland, right? I don't, I don't think anyone would ever, well, not forgive, but you're not going to see Gareth Southgate play some sort of like a weird formation or rest kind of people against Scotland. It, it would just be, it just be, it would just go down so badly. Now, before we get on to uh, our day four predictions for uh, Royal Ascot, we had a not the most enjoyable day three, I suppose. Had a few tips, had a few horses go close. I mean, we had a winner, um, and we had you know a few place, you know a few place. But the big disappointment of the day, even though we mostly went against it, was Stradivarius just in the sense that it got caught up in running as it came around Swinley Bottom. It didn't just never was in with a chance once it just ran into a bunch of traffic and basically had to come to a complete halt, sort of, you know, three to four, four furlongs out. Seeing Frankie Dettori has said that he just got caught in a pocket. There wasn't too much that he could do and that he really wishes he could have another go at it because he thinks that Stradivarius could have won the race. Do, oh, you, do, you, think, think, do you think Royal Ascot's going to do that? Do you think they're going to allow to, to rerun the race? Yeah, Saturday morning. <laughs> if he petitions? Yeah. Okay, it's you, Frankie. We'll let you do it. But uh, but uh, do you think on that basis, just looking at how that race turned out, do you think if he'd had a clean run or just run it tactically? So assume that Dottori could have kind of known how that race was going to play out and he either is more up with the pace or just manages to avoid all of those horses kind of going, coming backwards into him. Do you think Stradivarius could have won or was Subjectivist just the best horse on the day? And then follow-up question, do you think we'll see Stradivarius win a major race again or is that the end of Stradivarius? No and yes. (laughs) Okay, so no, no, it couldn't have won. Yes, it will in the future. Even with better positioning, I think it would have gotten close, but... It did not look the better horse on the day, and I, I, I don't, I, I just couldn't see it. You know, like I understand that he is definitely partly to blame, and maybe it's just bad luck. He got caught in a pocket. Maybe he should have known a little better to not be in that pocket. But looking at it, subjectivist was kind of pulling away and looked very strong at that two two furlong marker. But I think Stradivarius will definitely win another race in the future simply because these distance races don't have the greatest horses in them right now. So he's likely to get into a nice stayers race with maybe no subjectivists or no true Shan. And then he's racing against Nayef road that he's beaten 45 times. So maybe, but the thing is there's also not that many of them, right? So they do end up having to compete against each other regularly. So if it is now, the path for subjectivists might be a little bit different because it will they'll be eyeing, I think probably the pre de cadre or something like that. So the path it go it blots might be slightly different to what traditionally um, Stradivarius has done. But I mean, there's still that million pound bonus hanging out there, right? So subjectivist yeah. now has to go for that. I mean, you have to at least go for the second one and see what happens. So that means I hope horses just keep winning that every yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. The you worst to... bonus ever created. 
uh, yeah, the whoever, whichever sort of marketing guru came up with that idea lost his job probably after year two when they were two million pounds down on it. I think it went probably went out the window. But yeah, Sam, what do you what do you think? I, I just think like for someone like Dottori, he's been in this situation a million times where he knows he's got what seven seven six horses ahead of him. He he knows the the turning into the home straight at Ascot is tight. He knows that people are going to drop back because there were longer odds. There are front runners ahead of him. The, the whole thing just felt like a pretty bad ride for me. Uh, you've got to expect those things and the probabilities just massively increase as you go along. I, I know we spoke about it when we were watching the race, but you look at some of the people that were further outside as well. So he was basically head bobbing for the whole race with Princess Zoe. Z- Princess Zoe had a little bit more on the outside. Lo and behold, actually came ahead of Stradivarius. But even then, Spanish Mission, further on the outside, had a really good run late on at the end. So even if Stradivarius had like a more fortunate um, turn inside, I'm still not sure if he wins. And and I haven't even mentioned subjectivists. I've just mentioned the people around Stradivarius. I just think you, you gave the front runner way too much going around that final bend. What, six furlongs out? You gave yeah. it way too much. And, and, and that... The reason I'd really question it is, and we touched on this yesterday, it's a Mark Johnston horse. So you know it's going to be a front runner and you know it's going to try and stretch the race. So the thing that bothers me a little bit about his tactics is that he's then, he's hoping for gaps to open when you position. Now, admittedly, he was he was trapped in with Princess Zoe on the outside. So how do you kind of free yourself? I think he either needed to be more, make a decision sort of six, seven furlongs out that he needed to push up with the pace a bit more. Or he needed to drop further back so he could just push wide. The only reason, I think Subjectivist probably wins. The only reason I'm tempted to say that Stradivarius might have been able to get there under different circumstances is just because you saw Princess Zoe for a second looked like it might actually have Subjectivist in its sights. When it did kind of, it cut through on the inside as it, after it had been on the outside of Stradivarius. And it doesn't have the sort of acceleration and turn of foot that Stradivarius has, which is the thing that's right. Typically one Stradivarius these races is that final two, three furlongs, just the way it can pick up. And so maybe if you'd been able to put Stradivarius into exactly the same position, I think it would have at least tested subjectivists out in front. I think he would have got right, right there, but it's rare to be able to be critical of Dottori at Ascot, particularly on a big ride. And I think that w- that's one, and I don't mean this in a neg- in to be t- too depressing, but it's my, one that might even kind of haunt him just because of the historical significance of the ride and how much the relationship he has with Stradivarius. I could see that being one that for kind of, you know, for quite a long time he sees as one that got away that maybe he still would have lost, but he, he probably would like to know what the outcome would have been. Yeah, it yeah. also just it makes the legacy tough for Stradivarius, right? Because it hasn't equaled Yates' record in the Gold Cup, so suddenly three, it, it, it you know, it can't it can't do that, and it certainly isn't going to win another four from next year onwards. So it kind I'll of never dampens, say never, Sam. It dampens the legacy side of Stradivarius a little bit as well, I think, because now you've had the last two rides of the, the, the you know, it had the Champions Day where it was like pretty poor. And then it had this one where obviously it's going to go down as a fourth or fifth. I think it's fourth, wasn't it? So yeah. it kind of feels a bit like a, a, a tail end problem now with the horse. But I agree with Frank. I still think you're going to see a win out of it somewhere. Um, it'll be interesting to see it somewhere like the arc, maybe if it does go. But um, yeah, I think it'll win again. But the, it's just a shame about the ride today. 
Now, here's my question, Eddie. Not will Stradivarius ever win, but will former Derby winner Serpentine ever place in another race <laughs> ever again? Yeah. Prob- probably not. Will it find a distance that it likes? I mean, look, I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even bet heavily on it ever racing again. So <laughs> it definitely wouldn't be, you know, no. No, that's just going to be one a weird derby to look back on in many ways. But yeah, it's it's going to be one of those winners that to explain 20, 30 years from now is going to be challenging. But on that note, instead of looking back on day three, we can look ahead to day four, which is yet again, it seems like this is how we start all of the previews, but another very tough day. And things kick off with a tough race with the Albany Stakes over six furlongs. Obviously, question marks still remain. Yesterday, when we did the the preview for day three, we worked under the assumption that the ground, it was going to rain really heavily and the ground was going to get very soft. And that the ground was, it didn't really, I knew, I know it rained a bit overnight, but then it kind of stayed dry for the entire day. The ground, the going was still good to firm, started to rain towards the end. Sam, you're in London, so not that you're that close to Ascot, but you can, is it raining very hard where you are now? It's raining a lot and pretty constantly. Um, so if well, that is go. any there sort go, of marker. You, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> and so on that, I guess I will have to, the going is still good to firm, but I guess we can maybe assume that it will be a little bit softer than that. So at the top of the market, you have Flotus at 100 to 30, Hello You at 5 to 1, Prettius at 13 to 2, uh, Oscula at 7 to 1, Eve Lodge at 17 to 2, Cache or Catch It. At nine to one, and all the rest Cache. at ten to one. Again, this is one you're confident on. Yeah. Okay. Cache. All the rest are because someone made there. someone made the same mistake as you, <laughs> calling it catch it. <laughs> well, I said cache or catch it, but the way it's spelled, yeah. it's obviously not spelled like the word. Now I'm assuming there's probably been a previous horse called called cache, which is why you've got the bizarre spelling. But yeah, so. Are you on cachet, Frank? Yeah, Frank. Who's your choice? No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm going with Hello You. So it's a first time out winner out of Invincible Spirit. Had a really good time in that win. And then it also had Sunstrike in fourth behind it, who then came on the next run to win uh, that race. So not much to go on with this race. You have a lot of first time out winners. And like we mentioned, I think it was yesterday, it's really hard to judge judge the form on a lot of these because there's not even a lot of intermingling of the form between horses. So I'm going on hello you on the fact that it's well-bred and it had a good time in winning, not just that it won its race, but it had a good time and beat horses that have since won. But hard to be super confident, I think. Yeah, I think you're right with these kind of when there was a lot of winners in this that were impressive first time out. But the fact is that not many of them have actually run against each other. So you're kind of going on against, well, has any of any of the horses that they've beaten run on or do done anything different since then? Uh, but even then, there's, there's not much to go on in kind of a short space of time. But for me, I think that Flotus's maiden was a really handy one at Goodwood. It uh, won in pretty, pretty um had a bit of a swagger, a great style to it. Uh, Ed Crisford has also come out uh, and, and really kind of spoken up this horse. Uh, De Tori's the booking, which is um, Stradivarius aside, is always a good thing at Ascot. Um, favoritism doesn't really bug, uh, but bother me too much. But the thing is, if the ground stays the same, I think it's fine. It won that. It won over softer at Goodwood. 
that they CRISPR seems to suggest that whatever Ascot's got, whether it's kind of staying good to firm, goes good, goes even soft in places if it's a complete downpour, it doesn't seem to be a problem. So Floatus is the pick for me. Yeah, interesting it is. I mean, I think you both touched on a couple of interesting points. I'm, I'm going to side with Frank on this one. There's a lot of unknowns coming into the race, but I just think when you look at the sectionals that it ran, it's 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 challenging to take our horses sectionals at Wolverhampton and then try and then say next time out it's going to win at Royal Ascot. But it's um, I'm just going to hope that it's a good thing. And based on the pedigree and the confidence, I'm going to say that there's a decent chance that it is. Second race of the day, I guess a bit more form to go from go on, and this one is the King Edward the Seventh Stakes over one mile three three and and a bit. Uh, Alan Kerr tops the market at two to one. The Mediterranean is at nine to two. Title nine to two. Yabir at seven to one, and all the rest are twelve to one or bigger. I guess you raise the. Frank, you pointed out that it's difficult to know how good the horses something has beaten is coming into some of these races. In Alan Kerr, it beat a day or out last time out, but who then went on to win the Derby. So on that basis, that's kind of undoubtedly Frank to that particular form. I think on on that solely on that grounds, it, it has to be the selection. The the difficult thing here is we've we've also discussed in the past that is the Derby that good of a race? So we've already just talked about uh, Serpentine, but in recent years, Derby winners have not gone on to do a tremendous amount. So horses that have then beaten Derby winners before they won the Derby, it might not be the sort of biggest stamp of approval in terms of how good they are. It has run on soft before, and it did, you know, two of its three runs have been on soft, so clearly handles softer conditions. So... Two to one is a little bit short, but uh, it will be my selection. Um, what you touched on was exactly the reason I'm going for Alan Kerr as well. Um, it, it was interesting because when you actually watch the final stages of that race in the classic trial at Sandown, they looked pretty shaky, actually. I, I wasn't, I wouldn't be confident on the horse if Adea hadn't then gone on to win the derby. It looks like the form it had to maintain that win and just hold on has now held up really well. I think you just kind of have to assume that whoever wins the derby initially is a good one. Um, obviously, if it transpires like Serpentine, etc., like fine. But I think if you're going into a race like this so soon after a derby win, and Nadea won it pretty nicely as well, I think you just have to assume that at some point you're going to get a high strike. And I think that the form of that win at Sandown now looks really good. It's still a progressive cult, though, right? It, it's still going to have more improvement as well. And I'm sure they would have seen what happened in that race and understood what it needs to do differently as well. So it's going to progress. So um, Elenka's the pick for me, actually, as well. Frank's just needing some extra time to think. So- He's weighing up. Last minute algorithms are being processed on his computer. So I'm going to agree with both of you. <laughs> um, I think for that. You know, I, I I agree because it was unfancied in that race that it it beat the Derby winner. You know, I think it was like twenty five to one. So you question how great it really was. But when you look at some of the other horses, you know, you have like Mediterranean, the Mediterranean in there. The form is not great. Like we talk about, you know, form lines. It beat Ruling, who was then ninth. 
in that race against Kamari a few days ago. So Mediterranean's form doesn't look that great. Um, so this is more of a, I don't know what else there is really in this field to go off of. And you have to go with a horse that beat the eventual Derby winner. So I think um, it's a good pick. And talking of good things, we move on to the Commonwealth Cup. Uh, another sprint. Well, six furlongs this time. And this is my nap of the day. Because this is, I have. Wow. Uh-oh. This is a tough race for a nap, Eddie. Not, I'm excited. For, I want to hear it. Not in my, I mean, it's top of the market. Sueza, four to one. That is a horse that I have had the good fortune to watch in its races here in France. And it could not have been any more impressive so far. And it has raced on soft to heavy conditions every time. So the more it rains, I think the better suited it is. So honestly, this is one of these situations where if this horse were not French, and I don't mean this because of any sort of xenophobia, but just if this were an O'Brien horse or a Gosden horse, I think it would be approaching even money based on how impressive it has been so far. But because many people won't really have watched those races in France, particularly the last time out at Chanty, and because even if they do, they'll just throw up, well, it's France, how good of a race is it? The timing, the times it ran, just incredibly impressive. When the jockey says go, final couple of furlongs, it will absolutely take off, regardless of what the conditions are. So four to one to me, it is my nap, and I feel extremely confident about it. But before I hand it over to you, I guess I'll say you all, you have Campanelle at nine to two, another Wesley Ward horse. Uh, you have Dragon Symbol at seven to one, Jumbi at eight to one, Supremacy at nine to one, and all the rest are twelve to one or bigger. Are you opposing my nap? Are you joining me on the nap? What's the situation here? So this one for me will be dependent on what the course is tomorrow. So if it goes off of good to good to firm and gets soft, I'm all on board with you with Suesa. So it's it's a great horse and it has form on soft and heavy as well as good. If it stays good to firm, then I'm going to go with Dragon Symbol. So you have Oshi Murphy on board. The sectionals that this horse is running are flying. So it recorded a sub 11 second furlong, which is fast as fast can be. Um, Murphy is very high on this horse, but has come out just clear as day and said, if it does not get the ground, it's got no chance. Frank, I I know he's failed some drugs tests, but you don't have to attack his character in the previous day four (laughs) of our last cup. Come on. (laughs) But yeah, he's, he has come out and said it needs the ground. If it does not have that ground. So it lost, I think it got second in its last race at Haydock. And that was on really poor ground. And he said it didn't handle the ground at all. And it still got second. So this is a horse that, is very ground dependent. So if it's good to firm, I'll go dragon symbol. If it changes down, I'm with Eddie on Suesa. Gun to your head. You got to make a prediction now. It is raining. So I'll go Suesa. <laughs> so according tomorrow... to Sam, according to <laughs> Sam, it's raining. <laughs> okay. So, all right. I'm not sleeping at Ascot. <laughs> like I'm in a different bar. So Eddie, you obviously mentioned that you don't like your naps having kind of broad support from us. Do you prefer it if both of us oppose it, or do you like the kind of two and maybe one of us? Or do you don't like mind just being Lone Ranger. Yeah, don't mind if you. 
I mean, and look, it's not the boldest snap prediction in the world, right? It is top of the market. I mean, it's top of the market at four to one. Mm. So it's not, I'm not napping a one to three favorite, but, uh, you know, it's not like I looked through the card and I pulled out this absolute out of nowhere selection that's sort of 33 to one that I got total confidence in. So if you're on board, there's room for two, Sam. I am not on board. Actually, it's Frank's pick. I take it back. There's no room for you, Sam. (laughs) That was was a trick to try and see, but you are not welcome. You bluffed me. It's gone. Um, uh, Frank left this horse within 15 seconds of saying it's a really good horse, but I'm, I'm actually fully on it and I really like it. It's, it's interesting dragon symbol because it didn't sprint as a two-year-old. It hasn't, it didn't race when it was a two-year-old, which is a bit weird to understand kind of where, where it's going, but it had a really, really, really good record um, kind of this season. And as a three-year-old, so three of them were on the fast all weather. Um, what's good is that then it had one on turf, which was really good. And then it went up to a group two. So the one that Frank mentioned at Haydock on the heavy ground, it was impressively second. So it progressed up to group company on ground that's not preferable to it and still performed really well in a pretty handy group race at Haydock. Um, I don't mind that it lost its unbeaten record at that race. I think progressing up to a group like that is really good. And I think it's an extremely progressive horse and I, I see good value. I think it's now 13 to two, but I saw it at sevens earlier. I don't think the ground will be a problem. If it cuts up a little bit, it doesn't matter either. So whether it holds or whether it stays the same, I think it'll be a really good ride. So dragon symbol for me. Now, I, the fact that both of you are against me and on the same selection makes me even more confident, it has to be said. Um, up next, the Coronation Stakes over just over seven furlongs. Mother Earth tops the market at four to one, although appears to be drifting slightly. Pretty Gorgeous is nine to two. Primo Baccio at five to one. Empress Josephine, 13 to two. November, 15 to two. Snow Lantern, 10 to one. And oh, I'll just throw them in. Alcohol free, 11 to 1, Potapova, 11 to 1, all the rest are 16 to 1 or bigger. Frank, I'll let you kick things off. Well, I'm glad you kept talking because you almost missed my selection entirely. I'm hoping that I'm not over reading this like we did with the Poetic Flair win, who went out and won the 2000s, got second in the Irish 2000s, and then came out and did a really nice race and did its job and won. And that will be Mother Earth because Mother Earth basically done the same thing, you know, won the thousand. British guineas won, got second in the French guineas. So there's a lot of like likelihood that it just comes out, runs a great race and wins. But I'm going to go down at the market and I'm going to go to alcohol free. For some reason, this is just always a horse I've really liked and been really impressed with. It was great as a two-year-old, came back this year as a three-year-old, won the Fred Darling, and then it just didn't fire in the guineas. Uh, I got fifth in that race against Mother Earth. If you watch the run, it was all over the place. Um, And even in the Fred Darling, it was kind of all over the place. I think it's just a little quirky of a horse, and I think they need to settle that down. But it it didn't seem to be 100% for that run. So it's a horse I really like, and I'm going to give it another shot. Maybe it just can't get the one mile, and that's the issue. Maybe it's a seven furlong horse, but it was super impressive as a two-year-old. And I think 11 to 1 is a lot of value on a horse that maybe just didn't fire on the day. So I'm going to go for a rebound with alcohol-free. Sam, you you mentioned that kind of the interesting thing about all these runners is there's either some form in the British Guineas, the Irish Guineas, French Guineas, and they've all kind of had variations with it. Um, I liked Pretty Gorgeous before it was taken out of the British Guineas. Um, 
I, I, I thought it was going to run well there. And I think it had a lot going for it in that race. But then they withdrew it due to like kind of unsatisfactory conditions, really, that we're going to go with it. Uh, ran it in the Irish Guineas, and it's pretty clear that it, they've they've come out now, and the connections have come out saying that they did it because it needed the run and they wanted it to have the run. So it came seventh. I, I I'm not too bothered about that. I think it would be better for that run. Um, when I look at it as a two year old, though, uh, the Phillies Mile win at Newmarket was like a real standout for me, uh, culminating what was a really good two year old campaign. Um, does a better work on softer ground, so I I would want more rain. I'd be a little bit skeptical if. It avoided it in the same way that it did today. So, but if it does and it does downpour, I think the softer the better. Uh, Detori's the booking as well. It'll be the first time he's riding her, which is always interesting uh, when you see kind of preference for that. So, I think it's showing at about nine to two at the moment, maybe second favorite. But I'm I'm going to out of all of them, it's probably one of the more unexposed out of all the beginnies rides that. Um, uh, Frank mentioned, but um, I, I'm going to take that as maybe a bit of a blessing, really, that we're going to see its best work now. So pretty gorgeous. Well, I'm going to make it three entirely different selections. And I, like Frank, I'm looking slightly further down the market. And that I'm going for Potapova, a horse that's raced twice, won twice, made its debut on in soft conditions, so the ground shouldn't be a concern. Um, this is a fairly sizable step up in class. So I wouldn't be supremely confident in this one. It's not going to quite have the Sueza level of confidence. But I think as an each-way bet, currently at 11-1, to 1, I think there's good value there. And it wouldn't surprise me if it ran a very big race and even perhaps even won. So I'm not going to stake my reputation on it, but I, I, I like it a lot as a horse. Which I guess is it's good that I like it as a horse and don't like it as something else. A friend. <laughs> a work colleague. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now things get really, really complicated in the Sandringham stakes over one mile, where it's always interesting to look at a race where the favorite is 10 to 1. I think nothing is nothing is more revealing. So you have Friendly, top of the market at 10 to 1. Castena uh, or Castenia at 10 to 1 as well. Frank, you got that? Have you got that one's name down? Looks like a no. <laughs> no, it's always good to shake your head on a podcast. <laughs> no. Uh, Glasgow Gal at eleven to one. Create belief at twelve to one. Samut at twelve to one. Belief at fourteen to one. Ready to venture at sixteen to one. Candibu uh, at sixteen to one. Rikna at sixteen to one, and all the rest are eighteen to one or bigger. I mean, it's an incredibly compressed market. You're not looking. I mean, you have to look when when the favorite's ten to one and the rank outsider is fifteen to, fifty to one. Then you can basically make a case for almost any of them. So, Sam, I'll let you. Yeah. With that in mind, I'll let you you start. It's like grand national betting, isn't it? When you see like the field start at this kind of time, it's uh, really interesting. But um, I really like. Beheld at uh, 20 to 1. Um, so one first time out at Newbury, um, and then it kind of ran from a, it kind of ran the all weather of the turf. Uh, it ran extremely keenly in all those races. Like when I've watched uh, the full race and the final furlong, it's running keenly almost throughout the whole thing, but they've um, opted to put it first time under hood 
this time and they do believe that that will kind of really solve that so that should be of benefit to it it's going to go up from seven furlongs to a mile as well um that initially for a free running horse would be a problem but it sounds like they really feel like this hood will sort things out so they think it can be controlled a bit more so the stamina should be there um and and the jockey should be absolutely fine with it obviously some of the eye catching the sire is frankel out of this one which which is always kind of fantastic to see mile horses out of arguably the best miler ever so um yeah i think there's a bit of value there i think it's won some handy races the connections have done something to rectify kind of the three reins on it and coming out of frankel i think it's an interesting bet at 21. wow i'm not going quite as far down the market as you did because my selection is going to be create belief an irish raider coming over over to royal escort um i ran really well last time in heavy conditions so you're at least removing that question mark and i don't have to worry about a heavy downfall between now and and when this race goes off which also right it is the the fifth race of the day so the ground could be quite cut up by that point depending on what the conditions are so for that reason it's at 12 to 1 at the moment decent each way value i think you'll know know it will run its true race so I'm going a pretty far down the market to She Do. I think it's about 33 to 1 right now. So it's a Roger Varian horse. It's a half-sister to a lot of really good horses like Satsas, uh, St. Mark's Basilica, uh, La Brivado. So it's it's definitely got a pedigree for that mile trip, uh, seven for a long mile trip. It lost to Glesga Gal on reappearance but it didn't seem very sharp for that run. And now it's 11 pounds better off because it has a three pound claimer. So on, on that alone, I think, you know, you've really switched the weights up and Glesga gal is I think second favorite right now. So it's, it's just, it's, it's a very well-bred horse. That's really down right now in, in the weights and is a lot of value, I think at 33 to one. So that's my pick, not a super confident selection. Like you said, Eddie, it's so packed in here that you could make a case for a dozen of these horses it doesn't get i'm afraid to say it doesn't get much easier in the duke of edinburgh stakes which is run over a mile three now if i've struggled with pronouncing some of these horses so far they've really tested me with the current joint favorites i'm going to go for a d but uh that's right i mean double a double d double e y it's uh you know someone smashed a keyboard to try and name a horse it's a it's eleven to two joint favorite with Quick Thorn at eleven, also at eleven to two. Grand Bazaar is eight to one. Sam Cook seven to seventeen to two. Tritonic nine to one. Moran fourteen to one. Scarlet Dragon fourteen to one. A whole bunch of them. Valerian Steel fourteen to one, and all the rest are sixteen to one or bigger. Sam, I'll let you start again. What's your selection? It was interesting seeing Tritonic because. That was one of the good races at Cheltenham where um, he tipped up uh, Kixilios in that race. So it's always interesting to see kind of those jumps horses come across. Uh, ran a bit too keenly for me to uh, in its first time out over the flat season for me to kind of consider it. But uh, I actually went further down again to Zabil Champion. Uh, so it's a Mark Johnson horse, which is good. Uh, it's run four races this season and it had a hat trick of wins. Um, 
but before that kind of came second. So still really respectable last four runs. Over the course of the season, it's gone up about £11. So every time I feel like that progression has been there, despite the handicapper kind of trying to get on top of it. Um, the the wins it's had are class two, class three, and then back up to a class two. So it, it still should suggest that that um, progression is there. And it's got a little bit of form with it as well, because um, I think a couple of us mentioned this actually on the day one, but it um, it beat Global Storm, who actually ran in the last race on the day one of Ascot. It ran a, a pretty good third, actually, um, in that race. So Zabil Champion kind of uh, got the better of it last time out. So it's got a bit of form boost there from a pretty good ride at Ascot as well. Um, a couple of days ago. So I think at uh, 14 to 1, there's a nice bit of value there. Frank? I'm going to stick to the top of the market this time. I'm going to go with a D. It was raised 13 pounds for its last victory, but it just was like cantering home. I mean, I think this could be a very good horse that is going to eventually be out of handicap company and into group company. Uh, it's been pretty well backed. Uh, it's been pretty well talked up by the trainer. It lost its reappearance and that horse then went on and won another handicap, even being raised like eight or 10 pounds. So I think there's just a ton of potential in this horse and I don't think you'll see it in handicaps long. So I'm going to go with a D. All right. Well, I'm going farther down the market to hopefully this is prophetic, but I had to win a clock at 20 to one. Once again, I'm trying to look for horses where I can at least know that they will handle the potential cut in the ground. Win o'clock can certainly do that based on past performances. At 20 to 1, I think very good each way value. Again, I'd stay away if if it's like today and the rain stays away for large parts of the day. But I think at 20 to 1, any House of Cards fan out there might be tempted by Raymond Tusk at 22 to 1. But uh, wasn't a big fan of the show myself, so it's not going to tempt me. Now, final race of the day. The Palace of Holly, Holyrood House Stakes. Now getting tested by trying to say the names of the races, not just the names of the horses. At top of the market is Equality at 11 to 2. Then you have Boomshala at 6 to 1. Warrior Brave, 7 to 1. Significantly, 17 to 2. Mo Salita, 17 to 2, Popmaster, 12 to 1, Dream Composer, 12 to 1, and all the rest are 16 to 1 or bigger. I'm going to go Warrior Brave on this one. So it's seven pounds in uh, off of a listed race at Sandown last about like a week ago now. It split a two really good horses um, that have been pretty prolific sprinters over the years. Um, so I think just the fact that it did so well in a listed contest and is going to get the handicapper soon, but is escaping it now. Uh, I think it's a good pick, but again, like you've been saying for these past, these handicaps are just stacked full of, of potential horses. So I'll go next so that Sam, you have the honor of wrapping up our day for predictions. My selection is going to be dream composer. Is chasing a hat trick at 12 to 1, good each way chance, and that's very much how I would be betting it. But I think it's everything about it means that I think you'll you'll be there or thereabouts. So at 12 to 1, tempting price. Uh, so another big chill division, 
because I am going for what I think is a great story in Mo Salita. So uh, nine to one in the market on course to win six in a row, which is, is pretty special. But when you actually look at the races it's gone through, uh, they tried to put it in, well, they put it in a lot of poor sellers. Like whatever the connections were, whoever owned the horse originally did not want it. They put it in sellers. It got to the point where it won a seller at Beverly at like two to 13. It was, it was a really insane price. And then it was picked up by pretty powerful connections like Adrian Nichols is the trainer for it. And since then, it's then gone on to win really nicely in a couple of uh, class four handicaps. And I think there's a nice story brewing here with one of those kind of like a horses that was at the brink of not doing anything, got picked up by someone. They've kind of turned it from this real bottom point, brought it up. I think there's a really nice story here with this horse. And if there is rain, the forecast will be in the favor. Um, If it stays the same, maybe I'm a little bit reserved by it, but I think more rain, the better. Um, I'm really happy about the kind of trajectory that the horse has gone from like class six sellers going up to class four doing really well at Haydock. So I, I like it. I think it's a solid horse and uh, it'll be a great story at nine to one. Oh, that wraps things up. I guess the bad, the downside to us disagreeing on a lot of the races is that it makes it harder for the listeners to know which one of us they should follow. Of course they could just bet all three and in most circumstances they'd still make money. But the good news is it means we're more likely to have identified a winner in each of those races, we've we, <laughs> uh, the shotgun approach from the podcast might uh, might improve things. But either way, the listeners, I'm sure they'll have picked out. There'll be one or two win- winners in what we've just said, and as long as they just make Suez the the key bet of the day for them, they'll they'll come out profitable. So, what's your best bet of the day, Eddie? I mean, I I think I made that pretty clear. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> your nap Suiza. isn't your nap no. isn't your best bet. <laughs> The nap and when I really tried to drive home and just mentioned again, as long as they're on Sueza, they'll be fine. Yeah, it's Sueza. I'm, it's the bet of the day for me. For me, it's Elenka um, in the uh, 305. I, I think um, that Derby form hopefully holds up really well. Um, so, you yeah. mean Alenker? 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 Alenker. But I mean, who knows? Even, even when you hear the name said a certain way, Oftentimes, that's just the decision, right, of the commentator. (laughs) It's not necessarily how the owner or the trainer would say it. And sometimes there's, I mean, the big, the big one that had the most debate, right, was um, shoot, Um, not estimate, but the other one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're both thinking of the same. Gosh, it's uh, integral or integral, Ah! and they. The debate as to how that name was supposed to be said never ended. It was never properly settled, I don't think. It was said differently. Even when they spoke to Stout about it, he would kind of say, I don't know, I say it different ways sometimes. So, you know, there can be these situations when who knows? Does trainer get final say or owner or commentator that just kind of hammers at home? (laughs) Well, I think fundamentally it's the commentator, right, who's going to have the most. For example, if if they'd referred to Frankel as Frankel, (laughs) (laughs) if they referred to as frankel it might never have won (laughs) (laughs) it would have but you know if there obviously once a commentator's made a decision as to how he's going to say it he sticks to it so even there are instances where you know they definitely say them wrong and particularly with foreign horses which i always think with the foreign names then it becomes a whole nother nightmare because when you have a, a 
and also you have the you have particularly in jumps racing right a lot of them tend to get the french names even though they're not french and then are you trying to say it as a french person would say it are you trying to say it as some irish person would how they would bastardize the french language you know like wow well, which <laughs> No, but, no, it's completely it's like, fair. <laughs> but how do you do it? You know, like, I don't know. Are you going to do it how the trainer, how the owner then says it, even if the owner is attempting to say the word properly, but cannot do it? Does that mean you also have to make the same mistake, even if you can say the word? It's just, uh, you know, when the Big Chill podcast horse races and races under the name Big Chill, the Big Chill podcast, at least it won't be complicated for people to say, apart from the length. Which I mean, look, we could get we could get involved in virtual racing before we get involved in. Uh, I was reading an article today about the. You can buy a virtual horse. Yeah. What like a book? Yeah. So like a bookmaker, oh like Labrooks, or how does? It... No, no, no. It, it's it's on this separate platform where you buy a horse, you can then start breeding them. You <laughs> you choose which races they go into. Wait, how do you do the breeding? I think. They have hidden attributes. I guess it's sort of like a football manager thing. There's some sort of hidden oh algorithms God. behind the horses. So you breed the two horses, and then the, the platform is then deciding how good of a horse that this would then produce. This is incredible. I want to do and it. But this isn't a game. No, no, no. It's it's to make money. So you Gambling is never a game, frankly. Yeah, also responsibly. true. You have to pay for the horse up front. So I think the, ch- the cheapest horse you can get is about $150. The most expensive horses are going for in the tens of thousands. But, and then... T- oh, shit. So you actually buy the pedigree yes. and the lineage of... Oh, Which they've days. created. Okay. But by now, the horses have been bred quite significantly. So you can trace that lineage back. So in the same way that you could say, oh, I've got, you know, an Oasis Dream horse. So you can know this. Um, but do you have to pay and- virtual trainers? No. I don't, you don't have to do any training, but there are you can then you then have to pay to enter a race. So you have to choose which races you enter, and I think the the, le- the least expensive is two dollars. So you put it in, and then you win prize money if your horse wins or places. Oh, can we do this? This this sounds <laughs> no. This is a <laughs> like, complete am, waste of money. I am so <laughs> is it? I'm kind of with Sam. I think it would be a fun experiment. <laughs> This For sounds a, like a waste of money. This, do you know what this shows? The Frank, the Frank that hadn't just bought a house would not have said this sounds like a waste of money. <laughs> Guys, this had. doesn't sound like a sound investment plan. <laughs> the, the, the house has changed you, Frank, because <laughs> I, you, you used to be cool, yeah. Frank. <laughs> Guys, I just don't like our our return on investment here. It's way way I too risky it. of a portfolio. It could be huge. I think we can twist your arm. I think we could get uh... like, but but think about it in a way, right? You you like following this in real life. Have you ever thought to yourself? It, granted, it's virtual. Who cares? But have you ever thought? Could I make those choices about where to put a horse? We've always talked about interesting things like Gaieth with the Eclipse or the King George or the Ark or something like that. Have you ever thought? where would I put a horse that I have? Like, how would I plot its route? I think that's interesting. I mean, I, I like I like the breeding aspect of, of horse racing, but I like the real life aspect of knowing the lineages. I don't want to waste my time and, and 
of all day reading through fake virtual lineages of horses. <laughs> well, it's not fake. It's not fake. <laughs> Sorry. Virtual. It's virtual. Virtual lineage of horses. Do they show like the the breeding happening? <laughs> no, but so so this is the Z platform. Uh, it's currently down for maintenance, which makes it a little bit harder for me to find out more about it. But, um, but yeah, I've, I've gone back to the article that I read. So one horse recently sold for uh, $125,000. You don't want in on that, Frank. I just saw that Stella Artois is sponsoring it. No, it's it's a legit platform. I mean, it's the it's you know it's the horse racing of it's getting a little bit of buzz because of NFTs. So that's that's how I saw the article that I came across. That was by reading a bit more about NFTs and and this article includes the subheadline: Could Zed be a win for animal welfare? Oh, that'd be. Could is it just jumps or flats? Or is it both? It's just flats, but this is the complete. When I did read about it earlier, the complicated part is you don't really because obviously you don't. You can only test your horse out racing it, I think. So you buy the horse. It's an unknown. It's an unknown quantity, and then you don't know whether you've got. You can look at its lineage, but you don't get. To, there's no easy way to find out whether it should be racing in a five furlong sprint or you know two and a half mile stairs. And so the only way to kind of figure out is to put it there and be like, well, I guess it's it's very slow. I guess we should try it over further. God, this is so strange. Horses are selling for upwards of $150,000. Maybe you should have bought a horse rather than a house. Yeah. <laughs> what was that about? Can you get a, can you get a s- mortgage for a virtual horse? <laughs> what was that about not a sound investment, Frank? It sounds incredibly sound to me. Yeah. But yeah, oh, maybe we give it a. I mean, you'd need you'd need probably like a five hundred dollar budget because you'd need to be able to buy a horse, and then if I think if it's the two dollar minimum to enter in a race, you need to be able to enter into races for quite a few weeks to just see. I think there are a thousand races a day, and there's Jesus. no limit. There's no limit on how many races you can enter in a single day, so you could just run in all thousand of them. I think, but now that doesn't seem realistic. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that's where they. Oh, maybe that's where now, they're going wrong. Maybe that was the part that yeah. stopped him. <laughs> you almost had me back on board until that. Well, we'll we'll do further. We'll investigate this further, and on a future episode, we will readdress the prospect of us buying a Zed horse. Yeah. Before then. You gotta remember you, you're catching me you're catching me thirteen days after my last paycheck. So maybe wait until tomorrow and then let's oh, talk t- about it again. Okay. All right. Well, we're doing <laughs> I'm very short sighted. <laughs> we're doing another podcast tomorrow. So when that page when, when payday hits, we'll uh, we'll have that conversation. All right. Anything anything else to discuss? Oh, yeah, that sums it up for today. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to getting me a virtual horse. Hopefully a very good Friday of winners and then a nice England match victory. Hopefully. All right, I'll talk to you boys later. See ya. Cheerio.